0: This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. Joe Nichols was 18 when his family had to sell their farm in the 1980s farm crisis. He decided to stay in his community, slowly worked his way back into farming, building an operation that this year had him recognized as one of the top producer of the year finalists, learn what he did to establish and grow his farm, and how he manages over 90 employees today on an operation covering 25,000 acres. It's an inspiring story for all of us, and it's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. If you ask farmers what their greatest concern is this year, they will likely say rising nitrogen prices. For our farm, higher nitrogen prices and our desire to increase bushels with more sustainable farming methods led me to Pivot Bio Proven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. No matter your age, Joe Nichols' story will inspire you. As he will share, he saw his family lose everything in the early 1980s, but he wanted to remain in his community. Today, his farming operation covers over 25,000 acres of crops and livestock, and he has over 90 full and part-time employees. I'm going to let him share how he got started, then I'll step back in as we move his story to today. Joe, you were recently recognized at the Top Producer Summit as uh, one of the finalists for Top Producer of the Year. Take me back to the early 1980s. You have a unique start and certainly a challenging start. I
1: would say to your farming operation in the early 80s. Would that be right? Yes, sir. It's almost—it's unbelievable. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's like if you wrote a fairy tale and you wanted to start farming in your life with nothing, and that was the story that you ended up with. When they read your eulogy at a funeral service, you go, "Wow, how did that happen?" And that's for me to tell you how I done it. I. I can look back and tell you the, the factors that made it happen. But as you, was it written out in the business plan or did you have a flow chart that showed that was the way you was going to do it? Absolutely not. Cause just, you know, started out as a, my parents, you know, went bankrupt, went, went through the bankruptcy and the high interest in our early eighties. My parents, you know, lost a farm in 1983. Uh, I was in just graduated high school. They was trying to find them a, Their safe zone. They'd lost everything they'd worked for. So they had always enjoyed Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It's a vacation town. Then it was small and managed by three or four or five families. And they had gotten to know one of the families that had one of the motels up there on Main Street. They had always visited their whole life in the fall. Leaves start turning. That's where they found their happy place. So when the bankruptcy went through and they lost their farming operation, they packed everything up, my two brothers, and they had stuff. I guess they had space in the U-Haul van allotted for my stuff. But at the last minute, I told, told them I wasn't going. That's when I set out on the path that lets me sit in this chair today and be talking to you. Uh, I would have been 18 years old then. I was working uh, part-time for a, uh, in a hog house for some guys that live about two miles across the country from me. that They're not in a hog operation no more. There's somebody else running the building. If They still farm, raise tobacco, but they're not in the hog operation. And uh, I was working for the John Deere dealer uh, on his farm. And then I helped him some, clean out fence rows. And I was working as a gas station attendant. I was was doing anything it took to survive. I mean, if I could put in 90 hours a week, three, three different jobs, six and a half days a week, that's what I was doing. I was trying to make sure I survived. When I left the hog operation... I walked out bawling in tears because I enjoyed working for the guys, and so I left there and went to work for Mister. Robinson full time, working on the on the farm, cleaning out fence rows. So, uh, you know, it was tough in the '80s on on uh, equipment dealerships. Anybody involved in agriculture, whether it's in small town rural America, the '80s absolutely were tough. You didn't have to be a farmer to feel the the turmoil and the and the repercussion from it. Mister. Robinson, Joe happened to be pulling out of the driveway of the dealership. Wasn't no cell phones then. He saw my vehicle, and he started waving his hands at me. And he said, hey, we're in a bind. Can you be here in the morning? I said, okay, I'll be. I was there. I put faith in him, but he put more faith in me as a young kid that uh, he saw potential in. The same thing I do today. And uh, started started back uh, setting, up, you know, setting up equipment, delivering lawnmowers for him, setting up lawnmowers. Just doing general stuff, washing washing off a piece of equipment for a mechanic to work on it. And all of a sudden, one December, he comes back in on a, goes to an auction. We go get this tractor, and he pulls it in there. And A lot of the shields were missing. It was a forty twenty, And he he said, this is your project for the winter. I remember exactly where it was sitting. And I worked on it, worked on it, It took a lot of pride in it. And he would show me, and I'd ask questions. So it went on from there. I I, I become, I'm not being arrogant, but I was second to none in the mechanic. And I can, it wasn't a problem. I've never found a problem I couldn't figure out.
0: That gives you some background on Joe's early life after his family lost their farm. He eventually decided to open his own shop as a mechanic. Later, local John Deere dealer Dan Hudson gave Joe an opportunity to be a general manager of a location he had recently purchased. Managing that location gave Joe valuable experience, but after a few years, he had another venture he was ready to pursue. Where did you make the bridge back into farming then in this?
1: In 1995, uh, I run it from 95 to 2000. In 2000, um, I was farming on the side a little bit of a night, and then I ju- I just went and told Mr. Hudson I was wanted to farm full time. If I could make him millions, I could make myself millions. He said, "Very." I said, "I've been told that by every employee's that ever left." He said, "There's no doubt you will be successful. Just make me your first phone call when when you decide to when you get bored." And every New Year's Day until he died in a plane crash. He would call me about two o'clock on New Year's Day. I could see the phone come through. Are you bored yet? No, Dan. I'm. I'm enjoying life. I'm. I'm growing. Uh, we doubled from from two thousand every presidential election, two thousand to two thousand sixteen. We doubled the size of the operation.
0: What were you Not doing? Much. Do you think to to double it that through there? What was it that has it been I, the business experience or what was it that helped you so no, much?
1: No, it was good business experience. But everything in my life's been about your reputation and your honesty and your straightforwardness. Uh, if people, rep- if, if a farmer respects a mechanic and learns to depend on a mechanic, the, the last person they're going to sell out is a mechanic, a salesman. They come and go parts guys or in a mechanic in a dealership is what makes the dealership successful sales. Do, you've got to have the repair side and the parts side. Anybody buy equipment. It's when you're in a, repairs when you're in a it's when you're in a bind in anything in life, it's who who is there to help you when you're in a bind is who you remember. So that's the way I deem parts and service. So uh, I had a lot of farmers that were retiring. Well the first choice that would be I'd been working on their equipment and I had sold them equipment when I went to the dealership. I, I had to forge those alliances and relationships and when they decided to retire they knew my they knew my word. They would call me and say, or hell, I've had several, this is honest to God truth, I've had several times people, I'd walk out of my house at 7 o'clock in the morning a farmer would be sitting there and say, hey, I've decided to retire. Uh, I want you to work my farm. That's happened to me numerous times. Or, you know, a phone call when I get in, a message, or and that's how it started growing. We've never been one to go and uh, solicit farms to bid or out, you know, rip ground out for any, I bid on farms by, I've got a good, a, a great friend, a loyal friend and a landlord. And now his grandson is one of my lead, one of my key people that, uh, that's that's here today that just happened to, uh, sit, pull up one day, one Christmas and said, uh, uh I was working there in the dealership and said, you, I I've got a few acres here that you want to rent. The other guy said he wasn't going to pay it. Wasn't going to pay $75 an acre for it. He said, would, would you like to get a start on it? I said, well, if he's not going to pay it, I do not want to rent it out under nobody. He said, I just left there. He said, no, I, he was not going to pay that. We shook hands. Today I rent probably 1,100 acres from him. Hmm. Just, and and I've been doing this for 22 years. That's the relationship. It's oh, just, sure. It's relationship. Relationships, it's honesty in and relationships and, not, and, and never trying to be greedy. Always trying to give one more percent than you want to take.
0: I know that I've read uh, part of your story and know that you, of course, follow the numbers very closely, which you need to do. But you aren't afraid, I think, sometimes to shift what you do on the farm as far as crops or different uh, things you're doing oh. there. Explain some of that.
1: If you If you wanted that on steroids, you should have seen the past week. We had a we had a we had almost a thousand acre of a thousand acres of cover crop wheat that we had clean seed that we drilled on full season bean ground last year that I one farm had sold and I went and rented it back from the guy that had bought it some mom is from Pennsylvania had bought it and I pulled in last uh, let's see today's Friday. I pulled in last Tuesday to meet them, and I hadn't seen this farm since last fall, since we drilled it. All of a sudden, I look across these these hillsides. They're lush green with cover crop wheat. i changed my plan today. I've got my crop scouts. We was getting ready to burn the wheat down. It's a million-dollar opportunity. And then we'll plant double-crop beans behind it. Take it one step further. When grain was limiting up, when uh, Russia had... Uh, invaded Ukraine. I had already bought all of my inputs and dry fertilizer and liquid for 2022. By God's grace, we had already applied all of our dry fertilizer last fall and we own a a fertilizer facility that we bought from Nutrien. And we've got a working relationship, a great working relationship with Nutrien. I made a phone call at 8 o'clock on last Thursday morning by Friday morning I bought, we've got the capacity to hold 600,000 gallons of liquid, 32% liquid, and 1,750 tons of dry fertilizer. In 24 hours, I had purchased all of 2023's liquid and nitrogen needs and 80% of my dry fertility needs. They started delivering them three days ago. I'm, that afforded me the luxury. I know what my input costs are for 23. I'm sitting here today going. Going at it backwards, I know what my costs are. Natural gas is going to go through the roof. I know what my liquid costs are, what my fertility and the nitrogen, boom. I can start marketing 23's crop and know my margins. I know what my insurance coverage is. I know what my land costs are. My equipment's there. Find me a variable right it, well it's adapting and changing
0: well and with that i mean certainly we live in unprecedented times so to speak but would you have done that in the past to be not afraid to go ahead and lock stuff in and market that far out some people are afraid to even market 2022 crop that isn't in the ground. Hey, sure,
1: full year ahead hey i delivered some 350 corn this fall i mean if you keep you can never sell and go if you're selling for a profit and you produce it and you risk management uh I was on the phone with a guy yesterday. and He said, "You know, you're leaving. If you sell corn for six dollars or seven dollars in 2023, you know you could be leaving." I've got my 2022 wheat crop hedged at oh, say, let's call it 7.75. It's worth levered twelve dollars today. I left four or five million dollars on the table, but I made. But I made. I didn't go broke. And if you got, I've got, I've got nobody else to turn around behind me if I screw up and say, "Hey, I made a bad mistake." I live on a fine line, and with the elevation of inputs this year, that fine line has gotten to be high off the ground. If you fall, you're not on an eight-foot stepladder no more. You're on a 40-foot TV tire, and the past week has made people, and it's broken. It's, I promise you it's going to end up breaking a lot of people. Yeah. Adversity gives you uh, lots of opportunities.
0: Well, what would be your advice? I know that you necessarily aren't in the advice business, but yet we still like to learn from one another. So what would you tell other producers based on what you've learned and grown your business? What would you be doing in these times? Trying
1: to lock in more prices further out, even though we consider these prices to be no, uh, what's no, high? No, no, no. If you don't have your inputs, if you don't know your input cost, your output cost, you can have a good price and all of a sudden you can go backwards. Mm-hmm. In these variable times, we've seen stuff. Look at wheat. Look at the guys that, Long on the board, or had sold their wheat crop in a hedge on the board at seven dollars, and thought they was in a wonderful position. Well, if you had sold a million bushels, you're you've got a seven million dollar margin call. If you don't have the power, you better stay out of that arena. It's like it's like picking a fight with a bully, you know. Unless you've got somebody to back you up, you you're grabbing hold of something that you you can't untie from, or it, it they don't take in prisoners. So, sure. No, as far as advice, and that was one of the most reward. Being recognized in Nashville was nice. I was I was disappointed I didn't win, but from any loss you always learn something. Mm-hmm. But what I thought I was going to learn, I didn't learn. What I did What I did learn was when the younger guys would come up and ask me, "Tell me what? Tell me what and how and why?" I would get up out of a listening to a speaker and we'd go sit outside, coffee, beer, a drink, a uh, water. And I would sit and spend a lot of time uh, not necessarily telling them what to do. It's telling them to be more focused on what not to do. If you focus on what not to do, usually what to do is going to show itself real easy. It's, it's the pitfalls of not knowing what not to do. It can be be as simple as how you set up your business structure when you start. From You don't know what's going to happen 20, 25 years down the road, how that business structure could almost wipe you out.
0: What are some of those what not to do's? I know that it's hard to encapsulate those, but are there a couple that you often share with younger producers say, here's a couple of what not
1: to do's that I really learned? One of the, one of the most expensive lessons that I built a farming operation from scratch in 2014, not by my choice. I had to face the 20, I had to face the end of a 20, almost 25 year marriage and the litigation and lawyers Uh, my case was, we, we had closed, signed, sealed, delivered. Everybody was happy. Uh, she had remorse in the state of Kentucky. It's a no fault state and you have 12 months to reopen it for three years. It litigated it. I didn't finally get it settled to 2018 and $4 million later. It's your working capital. That's what, that's one advice I'd give a gentleman in Nashville. I said, are you married today? He said, No. I said, "If you are you starting out farming?" He said, "Yes." I said, "You need to have it set up in the LLC because you can put your life's work in it." And some and some independent-minded guy sitting behind a bench with a black robe on doesn't give a damn about your sweat, doesn't give a damn about how much risk you've taken, and he can destroy you without. And you, there is no, in family court, there's no appeal court. They're they're God, and I learned that the hard way. Oh. uh it's, and, and, and I told them, don't, don't, know so much, don't as much worry about your uh, worry about who you surround yourself with, your team members, that there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad, bad days, there's going to be great days, and there's going to be days that you wish that you wasn't living no more. But if you surround yourself with the very best people, the very best people, I don't care, it, it falls back to if it's a piece of equipment, if it's a dirt, or if it's a person. Every, the very best will always be there in the worst days when you need them. That's just, I, and that's, that was my second point of advice. That's one thing I wanted to ask you about. You have several team members. How do
0: you go about recruiting the best and keeping the best to work for you? Because that's certainly been an important
1: part of what you do. Please, please don't take this as an arrogant statement, but we've gotten to the point where they are coming to us. You don't have to be the most experienced, you don't have to be the smartest, but if you're loyal, and you're willing to learn and you're honest and you're not afraid of hard work. You, you can have a future in this operation, unprecedented. And we've got so many different facets of, of the operation. You have a chance to figure out what you enjoy, what you like and excel in it. I'm, that's just honesty. We, you know, we've got a lot of online applications and we, my son-in-law, he handles all of that, but I see every day more and more for my looking out my window, as you can see right here, you know, I can see people pull up in the parking lot that'll never see me, but it's how they park, how they gather their truck, what their truck looks like, how they present themselves. It doesn't have to be the fanciest truck, but if it's neat, if I see trash hanging out of it, they're going to treat my vehicle the same way. I mean, it's it's I, I learned that from the, I learned that from the equipment side from selling equipment. I, I could watch a guy pull up in the parking lot and tell you how he takes care of his equipment. Does he stop real fast? Does he throw it in gear rolling? it all it all people are animals are predictable people and how they take care of things how they treat people the same guy that's going to have a problem with one dealership is going to be the same troublemaker at another dealership right that's just that's just you talk to any business owner everybody's the same ones are always caused the same problem It's people whether good or bad
0: well in other words in a tight labor market You've still been fine because it's about how you treat people and, and what you can hopefully do for those folks that are working with you. Would that be
1: right? When I started farming, when I hired my first guy, everybody thought I was crazy. But I, after 40 hours, I paid time and a half. Well, in Kentucky, in 1994, you still don't today. In, in rural, in agriculture, you don't have to pay time and a half. I've been doing it since day one because I've been on the other side. And it forces me, it forces, I try to treat, I try to treat everybody, every part of our team member or landlord, I try to put myself in their position or a salesman. I want to, I want to, is this deal equitable or both? Give me benefit to being a partner with whether I'm sitting on the other side of the desk or on this side of the desk. Always look at each deal or each relationship. Do I bring value to that deal? And if you do that and you pay people, people, a lot of people's not going to sell you out for money. They want to be, they want pride in what they do. And sure. today, we, I'm telling you, it might change tomorrow. But this labor market for us, yeah, we've had a few people. You know, we have people come and go. You always expect it after first of the year when, when after people get their bonuses, I always give our bonuses December fifteenth because I see so many of them have kids, and I want to make sure of it that I wait to wrap for Christmas. And that's one reason I do it. And it's a pretty tough day when you hand out anywhere from four hundred to million dollars in bonuses but you know a guy that's making 40 or 45 thousand dollars a year trying to raise two or three kids you're trying to be fair that's the time that his kids get rewarded because it's indiscretionable income that that he can be happy and we try to get him that week off if any way possible it's getting harder now with it you know with a cattle operation where you're blended in cattle require it seven days a week you know we got to check them keep them healthy it's just taking care of people in relationships Joe, before we wind up, anything else you would like for folks to know,
0: based on your years of experience and uh, your recent recognition there in Nashville?
1: To some people, what's happened in the past week is it's hard to it's hard to fathom this. But in agriculture, and most people don't realize it, for for farmers to excel someplace, others have others suffer. in a, I don't care if it's in a county, if it's in a state, a nation, or a world. We're here in the United States today being granted the greatest opportunity in agriculture that we've seen in our lifetime. The only thing I can compare back to it is in the seventies. When I've heard the stories of how you could you could make no wrong moves. This is to me, it, but it's the most enjoyable time. Now I'm waking where I was waking up at five 30. Now I'm up at four because it's not because I'm worried. It's because I can't wait. It's like a kid can't wait to get on a, a tractor or, you know, I don't, I don't drive the equipment anymore. You can't wait to get to the office because you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be, if it's a roller, co- look at it as a roller coaster. you got some people that fear roller coasters and some people want to get on the wildest one they find. I'm the wildest one you want to find, but it's structured. I want to know where it's going to start, where it's going to end. But I look back at, I've had some conversations with some guys from Ukraine that's on the inside. You know, they've got a wheat crop to harvest. Well, they got tanks driving through it. They got bombs going off. It goes back to what I've always said in agriculture. It's like the board of trade. For every trade made, for every dollar lost, somebody made it. In agriculture, it's the same way. Everybody in the world can't have a great day in agriculture because it's not possible. And yeah. it, that's it's the change and adapting is. Uh, to me, this is the most in, in, enjoyable time in agriculture of my lifetime. Joe,
0: I really appreciate the conversation and the time.
1: Well, um, I don't really farm anymore. I, I don't call myself a farmer. I just try to change lives and, and inspire others. Uh, that's all I'm after.
0: As you can tell, Joe has had quite a life, going from an 18-year-old that saw his family lose their farm, then learning to be a mechanic, a general manager of an equipment dealership, and then building his own farming operation. He says he had experience signing the back of payroll checks as an employee before signing the front of checks as an owner. That perspective on both sides of a working relationship has been very valuable to him. Today, Seven Springs Farm in Cadiz, Kentucky, is not only recognized as a leader in agriculture in that area, but in the nation as well. I always like the opportunity to visit with top producer finalists and award winners, as you can learn much from them. You may recall we recently featured Susan Weaver Ford, who is from Kinley, North Carolina, and was the 2022 Trailblazer of the Year. You may also be interested in scrolling back to episode 154 of Farming the Countryside to hear from past top producer of the year, Lon Fromm. His story is one of the most listened to broadcasts from the last year and one packed with plenty of ideas on managing farming operations of any size. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook as well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you
1: by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.